The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. This is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. It's pretty common wisdom that people love to talk about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. So an easy way to have a conversation with just about anyone is to ask questions. Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? What's your family like? Those kinds of questions. We love answering those questions because we know ourselves. We know who we are and we love talking about ourselves. That's pretty common wisdom, but our world takes advantage of that. So we often get these kinds of questions. Who are you? Who are you? And they're often with a little bit of venom. But who are you really? What kind of a person are you? Which groups do you fit into? Where do you belong? How do you vote? How do you feel about all of the things going on in our world? How do you feel about politics? What's your race? What's your gender? Do you have a white-collar job, a blue-collar job? What's your education like? What are your thoughts on mandates? What are your thoughts on vaccinations? Where did you go to school? Did you succeed in sports? Did you hang around with the wrong kind of people? What was your grades like? How far did you make it? Where do you go to church? What congregation do you belong to? What do you believe? These kinds of questions are all a bit of a probe into who you are. Our world loves to ask those kinds of questions. And I think the reason is very simple. It helps the world to put you in a box. You know how this goes. If the world can figure out who you are, which box you belong to, then they know how to deal with you. They know how to treat you. Or, in fact, how to mistreat you. These questions about who you are, they are fundamental. And you know, of course, that we ask these kinds of questions about ourselves as well. There come certain phases in life where a person really tries to figure out who exactly am I? Maybe it's at a midlife crisis. Maybe it's when you go off to college. Maybe it's when you come of age, when you get married, when your kids grow up. Whenever it is, you ask this question, who am I really? It's a powerful question. It's a really important question. It's the question that the Jews sent to John as he was baptizing by the Jordan River. Now, the scene is important. There's John out in the wilderness, acting like a lunatic, really. He was raising the ire of everyone who was in charge. 
Because the entirety of the community, all of Jerusalem and all the surrounding countryside, they came out to see John as he was preaching this baptism of repentance. Turn away from your sins, he preached. Turn away from your sins because the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. There's a judgment coming. Turn away from your sins, he said, and repent. Be baptized. Be washed for the forgiveness of sins. Receive from God blessings. Do not run from him, but be blessed by him. There he was out in the wilderness really looking like a lunatic. He's the kind of guy that you would look askance at as you went down the road in the city and he's holding a sign saying the end is near, standing on his soapbox. He's that kind of a guy. You'd go around him. You'd think he's probably pretty smelly. He's got some strange habits. He's a little out of his mind. Eating locusts and wild honey, dressed in camel's hair with a belt of leather around his waist. He's not the kind of guy that you want to spend your time with. And so... The fact that he was causing such a stir, that everyone came out to see him, this led the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, to wonder, who is he? What does he say about himself? So they came to him, and they asked him, who are you? He doesn't fit into their categories. He doesn't fit into their mold. He's not the kind of religious person that they would expect. He's not the kind of religious person that they think that they need. But notice this, John is not just some sort of a rogue He's not some sort of a renegade going his own way, doing whatever pleases him. In fact, he fits into a very specific mold. It's the mold of a prophet. The kind of person that God had time after time sent to his people Israel to call them to repentance. To show them their sins and to promise them again that God was here to forgive them. The history of Israel, the history of God's people is... Thousands of years of one prophet after another, God's love shown in sending his word to his people. And here is another one. Here's a prophet. But that is not what they wanted. It's not what the religious leaders wanted. It's not what Herod wanted. Last week we heard how Herod, how King Herod reacted when John preached, when he called him to repentance. Herod threw him in prison and then later beheaded him. It's not the kind of person they wanted. Who are you? What do you have to say for yourself? Who do you think you are? This is the kind of question they are asking of John. He's a threat to their authority, to everything that they've established. He's a threat to their understanding of the world and themselves. Who do you think you are? Now, when you hear that kind of a question, maybe you've been asked that question before. Who do you think you are? We tend to get very defensive. We try to explain right away who we are, why we have a right to be where we are. Show some ID. Let me see who you are. Prove that you deserve to be here. Show me your credentials. Or maybe we get defensive in this way. I don't owe you an explanation. I don't have to tell you anything about myself. You shouldn't ask me these kinds of questions. Who do you think you are? It's a very antagonistic kind of a question. But I want you to see today how John serves as an example for us. A beautiful and precious example of how we should live our lives as Christians. When they come to John and they ask him, who are you? Here's how he answers. I'm not Jesus. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't talk about his accomplishments. He doesn't talk about where he came from or how God had spoken to his parents about how he would fill this role of prophet, how he would be set apart to preach God's word to his people. He didn't say a word about any of that. He said, I'm not Jesus. I am not the Christ. Just think about how strange an answer this is. Try it. You should try it sometime. Somebody says, they shake your hand. Hey, what's your name? I'm not Jesus. 
See what kind of a reaction you get for giving that kind of an answer. It's a bizarre answer. It's really, really strange. It doesn't make any sense. But there's something highlighted by what John is doing there. Because John knows something that we all as Christians should know. And it's this. That nothing matters more. Nothing matters more than who Jesus is. That's the question that prophets had pondered for ages, that wise men had considered for thousands of years. That's the question that was behind all of the promises that God gave to his people Israel. Who is going to be the Christ? Who is he when he comes? How will we know him when he comes? How will we see our salvation? When he comes, will we be finally set free from everything that has afflicted us? Who is the Christ? It's not me, John says. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm just a voice, John says. The voice that Isaiah talked about, a voice in the wilderness, just echoing. It's just some sound. But what it's echoing is God's word. I'm just the one who God gave to open his mouth, and out came God's word. He says, I baptize with water. He's saying, look, I'm just the one who pours the water on your head. But who is it that baptizes you with the Spirit? Who is it that changes your heart? Who is it that gives you the forgiveness of sins? Not me, John says. I'm just the water guy. Christ is the one you should be looking for. I am not him. John could have boasted about himself. He had every reason to. He had come, he had come as the angel said, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah, one of the magnificent prophets of old, who, with a word, caused a drought in the land for three years, and who, with another word, caused it to rain. Elijah, who defeated all of the prophets of Baal, conquering them in a test of faithfulness from their gods. Elijah, who everyone was expecting to return. Elijah, who went to heaven, not dying, but being carried up in a chariot of fire. John had come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He could have boasted in that. Jesus himself says about John that there is no one greater born of woman than John. When the Jews came to Jesus, when jo- I'm sorry, when John sent his disciples to Jesus and asked him whether he was the Christ, Jesus replied with all the things that he had been doing. And then he turned to the crowds and explained to them, John is not who you think he is. What did you go out into the wilderness to see when John was baptizing there in the wilderness? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? That's not John. Did you go to see someone dressed in soft clothing? That's not John. He is a great man, Jesus said. John could have boasted in any of that, but he didn't. And it's not a false humility. He's not just putting on airs. He's not just pretending to be lowly. He says, I must decrease. I must become smaller so that Christ can increase. I must become nothing so that Christ can become everything. When they come and ask John who he is, he knows that he is not worth talking about one bit. What else could there be worth talking about besides who Jesus is and what he is going to do for us. If God has come in human flesh, note this well as you come to Christmas this week, what does it really mean? If God has come in human flesh to bear the sins of the world, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then really nothing else matters. That is the one fact, the one truth that holds sway over every other truth. It makes every other truth pale in comparison. This is the one thing that matters above all else, that God had promised 
that he was going to send a savior, and he did. Not just another prophet, like this long string of prophets, but a prophet who was better, a priest who would offer a better sacrifice, his very own son, his only begotten son, his most prized treasure. That's who God sent. If that's what happened at Christmas, if that's what Jesus is, as John preaches in the wilderness, there is nothing else worth talking about. Which is why, in some way, although it sounds really crazy, it really should be the only thing that we talk about. You should try it once. Somebody asks you who you are, I am not the Christ. What do you do for a living? I believe in Jesus. What's your future like? It's with Christ in heaven, because he died on the cross to forgive my sins. What else is there to talk about? The only thing that I have to say about myself, the only thing we have to say about ourselves as Christians is how we stand in relation to Jesus. Not worthy, as John says, to stoop down and untie his sandals. Not worthy to be a servant of servants to Jesus. Not worthy of any of the grace and mercy that he shows to us. Not worthy of his love. Not worthy of his gifts. Not worthy of the daily bread that he provides for us. Not worthy of anything. Not simply because we are lowly. Not simply because we are smaller than him as creatures. But because we are dead in sin on our own. Because we have done everything to deserve punishment on our own. Lives lived in darkness and in wickedness. What do we deserve but punishment? and wrath. And here he is, not with a sword, not with condemnation, but with love. Not with might to drive you out, not to clean you out of his house, but to be made small and lowly so that you can be in him, so that you can be safe in his mercy and his compassion, so that his steadfast love can abound for you. That is what matters above all else. That's why John answers in such a strange way. Take a cue from John the Baptist. Know who you are, most of all in relation to Christ. So know who Christ is. Pay attention this Christmas. Pay attention to the fact that the story does not end there in the stable, does not end with Jesus lying in the manger, but that it goes all the way to Good Friday. Where Jesus dies on the cross. Pay attention to that this story is the story that matters above all else. That God, who holds his enemies in derision, that God, who holds the world in his hands, that God has come to be for you. This is what is so spectacular about such a seemingly small event as a baptism. You probably couldn't even see it. The water being poured on Amelia's head. But think about what a marvelous thing it is. That she has been washed, she has been made clean. All of her sins have been forgiven. She has been given a new identity. She is a new person. Previously, all that she could answer to the question, who are you, is I'm a lost and condemned sinner. But now she gets to say, with that joyful hymn, God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. Who is she? Who is Amelia? Who are all of you who have been baptized into Christ? Well, you're not Jesus. But he is here for you. Put your trust in him. Do not let go. And thank God that you have such a gracious Savior. To him alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.